And welcome back to another edition of the On the Board Sports Podcast. I am your host, Will Trucci, a.k.a. Will C, coming to you from Long Island, New York, on Sunday, May the 7th, 2023. And yes, it is an absolute beautiful day outside. But you want to know what else is beautiful? We're talking New York Jets right now. And this we're going to stick on a Jet-centric episode here. We haven't really shown the Jets a lot of love here over the past couple weeks. But I got my man, Matt O'Leary from Just Jets, talking everything New York Jets right now. I'm a season ticket holder, but this guy's a bigger fan than me, man. You know, I'm not, I don't want to say I'm jealous because I'm, I'm happy about that. I love seeing Matty O'Leary's content out there all the time. Matt, buddy, how are you? Long time no see. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Will. Really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, excited to talk some Jets football here. It's uh, good times right now. Absolutely good times. And, you know, for the past 12 years, before this whole Aaron Rodgers trade has happened, the Jets have been looking for their quarterback, right? They had Mark Sanchez, they had Geno Smith. They went out and they got Ryan Fitzpatrick, Josh McCown. I could go on, Sam Darnold seeing ghosts. And then we all know what happened. Zach Wilson comes in. Now he's a backup after two years. And unbelievable, this whole Aaron Rodgers trade goes down. So, Matt, give us your thoughts and your opinions on the Aaron Rodgers trade. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited about it. I think, you know, last year watching this team, it very much so felt like they were, you know, ready to compete pretty much everywhere outside of the quarterback position. And now, you know, going out and landing a guy like Aaron Rodgers, it allows you to be competitive with any team in the league because of how good that defense is. You know, you have young studs on the offensive side of the ball and Garrett Wilson, Elijah Vera Tucker, Brees Hall. Uh, now you have a quarterback who can distribute the football, and I think that's going to make the biggest difference uh, this year. You know, they they started off hot last year, and then things really fell apart at the end of the season. Really bad quarterback play, a big factor in that. And, you know, Rodgers, even if he's not that MVP-level guy, if he's 75% that MVP-level guy, I think the Jets are going to win a lot of football games this year, be a very competitive football team. Uh, and I love that they got aggressive and made this move. I hope they win games, man. I mean, it would be great to see a division title here for the first time in 21 years. Uh, you know, you get to see uh, finally a superstar quarterback here. And with the way how quarterbacks have been playing, the longevity of it, maybe he stays here for two years and we finally get to see a uh, a hoisting of the Lombardi Trophy and a banner at MetLife Stadium. Uh, did, did you think that the, uh, trade compensation was a little bit too much? I, I didn't think so at all. No, I was, it was pretty spot on from what I thought it was going to be. The only thing that really surprised me was the, the first round pick swap moving back from 13 to 15, but that wasn't enough for me to be like, all right, like they, the jets gave too much. It was, it was ridiculous. Like, I don't know. It was essentially the value of a late third round pick dropping down the two spots. So to me, it, it is what it is. That It was something that the Jets, you know, had to do. Uh, and, and I'm all for it. I think it was important to get the deal done uh, before the draft. You know, get him in here now working with these guys. And I love to see him in the facility already, you know, working with his teammates. Uh, I love it. I think the compensation was fine. Speaking of the draft, man, you know, the Jets were originally supposed to pick at 13. They trade like, like we talked about to 15. And... In between those thirteen to four, in between those two picks, New England makes a trade to move down essentially, and the Pittsburgh Steelers get Broderick Jones, a offensive lineman, something that we've been clamoring about 
for this team to do is to get offensive line help on this team in order to protect whoever the quarterback is for the 2023 New York Jets. That didn't happen. Pittsburgh takes the offensive tackle. And because of that, the Jets select Will McDonald from Iowa. Now, I got to say this. I've never seen this a, a Jets team have this many pass rushers like this 2023 Jets team is going into the year with. Uh, did you like the move for Will McDonald, the selection? I, it was definitely a surprise pick for me. I It felt like they got sniped, right? Broderick Jones has been someone people have been talking about going to the Jets for a long time, and then New England moves out, uh, and the Steelers come up and take their offensive tackle. Uh, I was definitely surprised by the pick, but I understand why Robert Sala went that direction. Uh, it, it's obvious that he loves... You know, this his defense is built on the pass rush. Yes, having Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed and guys like that obviously, you know, helps and, you know, only makes the defense takes it to another level. But the bread and butter is getting after the quarterback and having a guy with that kind of speed on the edge, I think, is going to make a difference, especially on third down uh, when you're able to. Uh, really get after the quarterback and when they're in obvious passing situations. And, you know, it might not even be uh, a pick that pays its dividends in year one. I, I think it's kind of, it was a pick that was made keeping in mind that Bryce Huff and Carl Lawson might not be here next year. They're both on uh, expiring deals. So uh, I, I think it's a pick that could be made with like the future in mind, but in the short term, I would anticipate uh, seeing him on the football field in obvious passing situations and him just using that speed to get after the quarterback. Let's talk about this kid, Joe, Joe Tipman. Now the second round pick. I mean, we, I say, we like you and I, we play for the team. You, you get the notoriety from, from the jets with the judge, just jets podcast. I love it. But you know, we go out there, we make the content, we see things and we offer our voices and opinions on the matter. And for the jets to get, this center, Joe Tipman, is absolutely unbelievable. They finally get it. Uh, they finally get the center that they needed. Talk to us about Mr. Tipman. Yeah, I, I think this is my favorite pick from the draft class. They've needed a long-term answer at the position pretty much since Nick Mangold retired. Uh, and I think this kid is just crazy athletic. He's he's a little tall for a center. It's kind of rare you see a six foot six center, but his athletic ability getting out in space in the run game, I think, is what you know, got the attention of the Jets. They love those uh, offensive linemen who could move around uh, and, and make plays in the run game. And I think that's exactly what you're getting uh, from Joe Tipman. It was maybe a little surprising they went uh, with Tipman over a guy like John Michael Schmitz, who uh, I think most people thought was the number one center in the class. But I think what, again, what really drew the Jets to a guy like Tipman is that athletic profile and just how high his ceiling could be. Now, the rest of the draft picks throughout the, the 2023 Jets class, you got Carter Warren, you got Israel Abaniconda, Zaire Barnes, Jarek Bernard Converse, and Zach Kuntz, if I'm pronouncing his name right. Um, anyway, all these picks right here, they're all depth picks. And that's something that the Jets desperately needed uh, last year. So after watching them go and succeed the first couple first couple of months and then right after Vera Tucker and Brees Hall went down and the whole Jets quarterback controversy, they needed depth. Talk to us about the Jets' depth going into 2023. 
Yeah, that's really, I think that was one of the biggest themes from this draft is adding depth and just adding guys who have, you know, really uh, good athletic profiles. That's kind of how I looked at day three is adding depth. Like a guy like Carter Warren, you know, last year we saw, unfortunately, what injuries could do to an offensive line. And now just continuing to add bodies to that line, you're kind of putting yourself in a spot where if people do go down, you could survive and you don't have to go like really low to the bottom of the roster to you know, plug someone in who really probably doesn't belong. But uh, to me, it was they're, they're setting themselves up where, you know, whether it's at the offensive line, running back, a linebacker, safety, uh, tight end, where they could survive injuries, which, you know, unfortunately, this team, not even just last year, over the last, you know, few years, it seems like injuries have derailed the seasons uh, in the past. So I love it. I, I think Izzy Abanaconda is uh, his speed at the running back position is going to be really fun to watch. I think he, you know, maybe has a little bit of a bigger role early on in the year if they're bringing on Brees Hall a little bit slow from, uh, from you know, coming off an ACL injury last year. He might not be 100% to start the year, so I can't wait to see what he in particular can do for this team. Let's talk about now the schedule for the New York Jets because, you know, going into it next year now, it's going to be, we're going to see a lot of primetime games with this team, and that's something that they haven't seen in a very long time. Uh, you got the Giants on the road, you got Denver playing on the road, too. You got Cleveland, an improved Cleveland team from last year with Deshaun Watson being over here, too. Uh, and Kansas City's coming here. You know, got Dallas, too. I'm expecting a lot of primetime games here. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we all kind of got used to that Sunday at 1 o'clock, but I think that's going to be a rarity this year. I would think they play probably at least four primetime games, if not more. I think the most you can get is six, but... Yeah, there, there are a lot of interesting matchups that I think they could put in primetime. Jets, Giants, the Cowboys, Kansas City, you know, divisional game even for the Jets. Uh, I think with how the schedule is looking, they could absolutely mix in some, you know, Sunday, Monday, and Thursday night games. The Jets haven't been on Sunday night football in like 12 years or something crazy like that. It's, it's been a long time. Yeah, really long time. I think that changes. I think they get on Sunday night this year. Matt, I got to ask you this. Because we know about the the high times the Jets had back in the early 2000s and, and going into the AFC Championship games in 2009 and 2010. I'd ask you this, though. What's been the best moment for you as a Jets fan the past 12 years? Man, uh, it, it's it's hard to come up with, with, with some. You know, it hasn't been great. But for, for me, I would say... Uh, in week 16 in 2015, the Eric Decker overtime touchdown against the New England Patriots. Uh, I was in I was in the building for that one, so that was awesome to awesome to see live. Uh, and then it set up a win and in scenario. I thought that's when they would uh, be breaking their their playoff drought. Unfortunately, we know how the season ended in Buffalo, but yep. uh, to me, that one really jumps out as a, as a high point for me over what was a pretty bad stretch of football. Yeah, man, absolutely. I got to ask you this question. We're getting back to this current Jets team right now. Robert Sala is entering year three, and there's a lot of attached to the hip here with him. Okay. A lot of fans, including myself, are saying it's playoffs or bust. And if this guy doesn't make it, coaching change has to happen. What do you think should be the mandate 
for this team. Obviously, now it's playoffs or bust, right? At this point, yeah. the The expectation has to be to make the playoffs. Uh, you know, you took a step forward last year. You know, winning seven games. I know how the the season started. Obviously, we we thought that would you know they'd be a playoff team after they started what seven and four. But just, you know, before the season, most people that I talked to figured the Jets would win seven or eight games, which is where they ended up. So last year was like, okay, they took that step forward. But now, especially with the Aaron Rodgers edition, you have to be a playoff team. I know the AFC is a very tough conference. There's a lot of really good football teams. But with how, you know, how good this defense is, adding a guy like Rodgers to this young core of offensive guys uh, you know, to me, they, they got to be a playoff team. And if not, then, you know, you mentioned Robert Salo could be in trouble. You know, I, I like a lot of things what Joe Douglas did, but it's they heads will fly if they if they miss the playoffs. I don't think they will. I think they do finally end that streak. Um, but it, it's definitely a high pressured season for these guys. Speaking of high pressure, Quentin Williams, this guy always goes out there, gets to the quarterback. He had himself a career year last year. Definitely was a difference maker on the Jets defense, no doubt about it. Do you see this contract extension happening before training camp? Yeah, I think that's the deadline. Supposedly, they uh, they have been a little far apart, which is, I think, a little strange because you have a lot of you know interior defensive linemen who have signed this offseason where you can kind of use their contracts as a baseline to go off of. But uh, I, I'm not going to worry until we get closer to training camp. That's still you know a few months out. Uh, and they have time to get this done. But I think it'd be beneficial for both the Jets and for Quinn and Williams' side to get this done before training camp. I'm not, again, he's missing mini camp and voluntary stuff right now. That doesn't right. really bother me. I, you know, totally get it from his side, what he's trying to do. Um, but I, I think it's something that should get done before training camp. Thoughts on the Randall Cobb edition? Yeah, I, I don't get why some people are so bent out of shape over it. They're like he, He's not going to come in here and be a starting receiver. He's probably their fifth or sixth receiver on the depth chart, and it's someone that both uh, Nathaniel Hackett and Aaron Rodgers know and are very comfortable with. So um, I, I I like it. I think he's you know a, a reliable depth wide receiver, which you know it's he's basically he's replacing a guy like Jeff Smith on the roster. Uh, I'm I'm more than okay with adding a veteran like Randall Cobb. Nothing wrong with that at all. Nothing wrong with having a vet there. And he's going to be wide receiver five anyway. So right. like you said, it's going to be something <clears throat> completely, completely different. Now, I got to ask. I got to ask this now. We're going to switch over from the Jets. I just want to get your thoughts. You're a big Islander fan. I know that. Give me your takeaways, your, your key takeaways from the 2022-2023 New York Islanders. And I know you host the podcast now up the turnpike. So talk to us about that. Yeah, so um, Mitch Anderson and I, we worked for uh, Eyes on Isles for for years, about five years, uh, but uh, both moved on and we were itching to get back into the Islanders podcast space. So we created Up the Turnpike. Uh, you could follow us on social media uh, and get all our coverage there. It's a, it's a ton of fun, uh, but I was happy with how they came on strong at the end of the season to make the playoffs, especially with Barzal out. Uh, I didn't really give them much of a chance. Once Matt Barzal went down, I thought they would kind of, you know, fade away after that point, but they played well, uh, you know, in the series against Carolina it was tough. It went six games, a couple overtime losses, but that, as I'm sure, you know, well, Carolina is a really good hockey team. That they are. Um, they, they are. And they're, they are, you know, taking care of business against the Devils right now in the in the second round. But uh, I thought it was an okay season. Would love to would love to see more from Bo Horvat next year, who you know signed a big big extension. And I still think they need some scoring help. But 
man, the biggest thing that cost them this year is that power play. It's just so, so bad. And I think if they had a even average power play, you know, this team would look completely different. Absolutely, 100%. I mean, you can't go into the postseason 31st into the, in the league, oh, and then, you know, that's where that's where all the lottery teams are at that point in time. So you got to right. get better uh, in that situation. Uh, speaking of Bo Horvat, what are your thoughts on Bo? Yeah, you know, I, I saw a lot of fans were, were killing him. And look, he, he underachieved, especially in the playoffs. But I really like him a, a lot. I think he's a guy. I fully expect him to be a 30-goal scorer for this team next year. He's great in the faceoff dot. He's a two-way center. I think him uh, and Barzal c- can get that chemistry back. When you know when he first came in early on in the, his Islander tenure, they looked great before you know Barzal went down with the injury. Uh, Barzal's back for the playoffs, but he, he didn't even Matt didn't look his normal self in that series. So uh, I, I think he'll be fine. I would expect him to be a you know thirty goal scorer somewhere around you know 70, 75 points. Uh, and you know, to, to me, that's, you know, that's what this Islander team needs. They need another 30 goal score and it'd be great if he can get to that point. Lastly on the Islanders, a lot of radio silence has been going on, uh, between Lou Lamarillo and, uh, Lane Lambert. There's not, there hasn't been anything that has come out over the past week. We've heard about Gerard Gallant getting let go, uh, by the Rangers. Yes. News right there. But at that same point in time, no news from Lamarillo or from, on the whole Lambert situation. Do you think both come back? Yeah, I think that I think both do come back. Um, I obviously they they re-signed Hudson Fashing, and to me that was kind of a a hint that there wasn't gonna be a change. I think if there were to be some sort of change, they would have hold, held off on some of these uh you know signings that they've made so far already. But uh I would a- anticipate both guys to be back with you know on a on a short leash. Uh I, I think for you know, lose side. They need to get. They were. They got back to the playoffs this year, which was which was good. But they they need to be a team that's, uh, you know, a little bit better in the regular season and not just you know sneaking their way into the playoffs. And for Lane, I thought he was okay in his first year. Some good, some not so good. But uh, we'll see as he develops. You know, as a coach in this league, definitely some areas for improvement from him. But uh, I, I would be surprised. I think if they moved on from Lane after one year since they made the playoffs. I hear that, man. We got to go from one blue and orange team to another blue and orange team, a team that you root for, the New York Metropolitans, the Mets. Everybody had a lot of hype and a lot of hoopla around them. Uncle Stevie spending the money, going out there, trying to be like the Yankees in that sense. And right now, both the Yankees and the Mets haven't had the best starts of the 2023 MLB season. Uh, Talk to us about the big takeaways from the start of of the year from the 2023 New York Mets. Yeah, I think the the starting pitching is just not really good enough right now. Max Scherzer struggled. He had his uh, you know his two game suspension from the the sticky stuff or the the rosin situation, uh, which was very interesting. But uh, they had Verlander uh, made his return. I thought he looked okay. You know, gave up a couple home runs and then settled in nicely. But uh, overall, I, I think the pitching, the starting pitching staff needs to improve, and the bats are just inconsistent right now. Uh, some days they they look great and they're they're putting up runs, but I think it's consistency for me uh, on the offensive side of this where where they are are lacking. If the bats get somewhat consistent and the pitching staff you know is what they were supposed to be, I think they turn it around. I'm not you know I'm not all the way out on on this year. It, it's yes, I think you could be you know concerned with how the Mets and the, you know the Yankees are playing right now, but uh, the talents there, I think they just need to you know play up to where they are supposed to be. Let's talk about here 
Buck Showalter and the job that he's done thus far. A lot of people saying that he's, you know, he's not the guy right now, you know, to that extent. He's very cool. He's very mellow. But that's Buck in that sense. You know, he, he's got to keep that calm, cool composure on that on that bench. What have your thoughts been on Buck Showalter? I love Buck Showalter. I'm a big fan of his uh, his game. The Mets have had a, a ton of inexperienced managers. It's, you know, re- recently, ever since they moved on from, you know, Terry Collins, they've kind of rotated uh, rotated through these these younger inexperienced guys, and I, I love the experience that he brings to the game. He's very smart, like you said. He's kind of that calm, cool, collected guy. But uh, I like that from him. I know you know when the team's struggling, people want to see their manager you know going out there kicking dirt like Lou Pinella. But there's not really that many guys like that anymore. So yeah. uh, I think he kind of brings a you know a, a level headed approach to this. And as someone who is you know he's been around the game a long time, he's an older manager. <clears throat> Excuse me, but I think he relates to some of these younger guys well, which is impressive. Yeah, absolutely. Well said right there, Matt. He absolutely well said. Finally, this is my final question on the Mets right now. Uh, we got to talk about the fork bowler, uh, Cody Sengai. Guy's been pitching unbelievably well uh, here. You know, yeah, the Mets pitching staff, like you said, has been up and down uh, over the past couple of months, but. This guy has been really one of the more consistent players on this team. And usually Japanese pitchers, they tend to fare well here if they can stay healthy. And right now, through the first couple of weeks of the season, he's done that. Talk to us about uh, Mr. Sanger. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. My voice just kind of went on me. But, uh, yeah, I really like um, Sanga. I think he's made that transition pretty well to the major leagues. Um, I love that fork ball. It's, it's nasty when he has that thing going, he pitched really well the other day. Um, but the toughest thing from making that transition, uh, usually is the rest. Uh, they're used to pitching on six days rest. So the Mets give him a little bit of extra time off right. in between starts. And I think it really paid its dividends. So, um, I, I can't wait to see what he can do over a full season, but yeah, I, I love what we've seen early on and, you know, start stretching him out, get him going, you know, six plus innings. And I think he could be one of the better guys in this pitching staff. Where do you see the Mets by the time the all-star break comes around at around 500? Do you see them, you know, competing with the Braves here for a little bit because of the wild card situation? Where do you see them? Yeah, I, I think they get back into the race a little bit. I know things are things are tough right now, but I think, like I said, getting Verlander back, I think is going to help. Sanga's, you know, pitching like a top of the rotation guy. A little bit worried about Max, but you know, maybe it was just you know he hasn't pitched in a in a couple of weeks, and uh, he kind of just needs to get back in in gear and going. But uh, like I said, I'm not I'm not out on on this year. I think they could still be competitive. And you know, right now the Braves have a big lead. But you know, last year the Mets had a big lead at this point. And the Braves just played unbelievable baseball in you know the second half of the year. And you know, who knows? Sometimes these teams they they get hot in the second half and they can go make a run. That they can. We've seen that happen before plenty of times. Final question on the baseball scene. Okay, final question. What have been your takeaways on some of these teams that don't have the the uh, the money spending power like the Mets did, and now we're getting to see teams like the Pirates actually do well, and the Orioles getting to do well here. Teams that at the beginning of the year everybody was shitting on them because they didn't spend money and because they were called "quote unquote" cheap, but now you're getting to see the younger talent come out and play hard. What have been your takeaways on both the Pirates and the Orioles and teams that haven't spent over the course of time? 
Yeah, uh, I think it's you know it's good for those organizations and the fan and those fan bases to see a uh, a good a, you know good and winning product. I think they deserve it. The the Pirates fans are are loyal. They're a loyal group. You know they've been there a long time, but they don't. They're a team that doesn't really like to spend a lot of money, and then have they've had a lot of losing seasons over the last few years. And the Orioles, you know, kind of the same thing. They you know they had a nice run when Buck was their manager, and then over the last few years they've kind of been gone through this rebuilding phase I, I i think you know i i do think that major league baseball um there is a little bit of a of a gap between the teams who can spend and the teams who don't and I, that i don't love for the game i wish you know all the owners were really as in, as invested as the you know the ones at the the top and wanted to spend as much because i think when you when you spend money it helps you make money by tr- trying to put you know um you know bring people to the stadium and get people interested but in in terms of just how these teams have been playing it's been a surprise but i think a a good surprise for these fan bases we'll see if they're they're able to sustain it but i love seeing the young talent come through uh, and perform at a high level you're muted You're muted. I couldn't hear you. We could always edit that out. <laughs> uh, Matt, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Uh, how can the people follow you and Just Jets podcast on social media? Yeah. So uh, anytime at, at Matt O'Leary NY on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all over there. We're, we're talking sports. Try to keep it light and keep it fun. But uh, yeah, if you're interested, you can follow along there. Matt, thank you so much for sacrificing some time, especially waking up early on a Sunday like this to do this. I know you're a busy man making up all this content. You're you're an amazing person. Just want to say that out there. I appreciate so, that, Will. Thank you. No problem. Big fan, like always. You know that. So thank you again for coming on, sacrificing some time. Really appreciate it. And let's go Jets and let's go Islanders, baby. There we go. That's it. That's Matty O'Leary from the Just Jets podcast. Guys, Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll talk to you guys soon. Stay safe and be well out there, wherever you may be. Peace out.